Hello and welcome. This is 21. Episode 2.1 Gateway to Paradise. Welcome back to 21, everybody. Before we get started with this week's episode, I just want to take a moment and thank everyone for all the positive feedback and criticisms of the show, and for all the followers of this show's Facebook page. Yes, we have a Facebook page. If you haven't already, be sure to go and like and follow 21 Wonders Podcast on Facebook. I greatly appreciate it, and it means a lot that you guys are taking a vested interest in this show. This show is only about a month old, but we've already had over 150 people like the Facebook page, which has me very excited about the show's future. I can only hope that the show continues to grow at this pace, but I wanted to take a moment and thank all of you who are here at the beginning, taking a vested interest in the show. Alright, on to the second wonder. Last week, we finished up with the first wonder on our list, the temple complex of Abu Simbel by looking at the Battle of Kadesh. It was the first battle in history that we have a record of every aspect of the battle. Numbers of soldiers, the routes the armies took, the peace treaty, etc. For the next wonder on our list, we'll be traveling to the other side of Mesopotamia, to one of the greatest and most famous cities in the ancient world, Babylon. Babylon was built in southern modern-day Iraq around 2300 BC. While certainly not the first big city in Mesopotamia, it would quickly become the most famous. It was the capital city of not just one, but two empires that dominated Mesopotamia. Babylon also was one of the first metropolises in the world. It was in Babylon where King Hammurabi created his revolutionary code of laws, the first set of fairness and morality-based laws that we have on record outside of the Ten Commandments. Babylon was also one of the few cities that remained not only standing, but important, despite the numerous power shifts in ancient Mesopotamia. Babylon has also become almost a myth in history, with everything that took place there and all the religious importance of the city. It is also one of only two cities which house multiple wonders on this list. The first wonder of Babylon that we're going to look at was one that was originally on the list of the seven wonders of the ancient world before it was replaced. This wonder is the Ishtar Gate. The Ishtar Gate was one of the many gateways to the center of Babylon. In fact, it was the eighth fortified gate in the city. In the ancient world, all the important cities had multiple sets of walls and gates that protected vital parts of the city. Things like the palaces, barracks, temples, and other important buildings were all kept in the city center. Then, throughout each level, the people of the city would live between the section of the walls, and in peacetime would have free passage between the sections of the walls and access to the entire city. Think of it kind of as Minas Tirith from Lord of the Rings. Now Babylon was not built into a cliff like Minas Tirith. Instead, Babylon was built on a large flat plain next to the Euphrates River. It was hot, dry, and if it wasn't for the river, it would have been a barren wasteland. 
Instead, the annual floods of both the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers flooded the surrounding plains, making it ideal for crops. It was this access to these rich plains that made Babylon a power in the ancient world. Just about from the time it was founded, it became one of the most important cities in Mesopotamia. It also was a center for trade throughout the entire ancient world. Traders from Arabia, Persia, and India would sail up the Persian Gulf and up the Euphrates River to sell their goods in Babylon. Traders likewise from Assyria, Phoenicia, or the Hittite kingdoms would sail down the Tigris or Euphrates rivers to trade in Babylon. Only Alexandria and Carthage would become bigger trading centers in the ancient world than Babylon. At the time of the Ishtar Gate, Babylon had already seen more than a thousand years of history. It was the capital of Hammurabi's great empire from 1792 to 1750 BC. Hammurabi created the first Babylonian empire by doing something very different and unusual in the ancient world. He was a diplomat in a world of warlords. While just about every other city-state, kingdom, and empire in the ancient world was built on the backs and the bloods of their own soldiers, Hammurabi came up with a clever way to make himself the most powerful man in Mesopotamia. He manipulated both his friends and his enemies to fight amongst each other. Eventually, when they got to the point where they were too weak to resist outside advance, Hammurabi would lead his army and claim the cities and territories for Babylon. His friends and enemies would have no choice but to accept Hammurabi's control over their cities and territories. And instead of destroying these two weakened peoples, he would offer them a choice. To resist him and death, or to accept his control over the area and he would allow them to continue to live where they were. The only difference would be that their armies would have to join the Babylonian forces to fight for Hammurabi, and the peoples would have to pay their taxes to Babylon. By doing this, Hammurabi grew the Babylonian Empire to dominate the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. Babylon would remain a power for hundreds of years. But, as was the case throughout the entire ancient world, eventually someone else came along and would be more powerful, and the Babylonian Empire fell. After this initial fall, Babylon would go back and forth from being conquered to being the capital of a smaller Babylonian kingdom. None of these kingdoms would match the majesty of Hammurabi's empire. That was not until one man took the throne more than a thousand years after Hammurabi's death. It would be this man who ordered the construction of both the wonders in Babylon on this list. This man was King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar was one of the most iconic persons of the ancient world. He not only brought Babylon back to a place of prominence, but he also conquered the remaining tribes of the Jews. This in turn would lead him to be involved in a number of famous accounts between himself and the Jewish people. But what he is most famous for is for being the king that went mad. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Nebuchadnezzar was born in 630 BC. He was the son and successor to the Babylonian king Nabopolassar. He is first mentioned in the Babylonian records as a young military commander while his father remained in Babylon. Even as a young man, Nebuchadnezzar was incredibly successful in his military campaigns, both in Egypt and in Syria. 
He really was setting up his own empire to succeed when that empire would be his. When his father died on August 16th, 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar returned from his military campaigns to take the crown. But his military successes did not end with his ascension. He continued conquering his neighbors and securing his borders. He married a Persian princess to secure an alliance with the growing Persian power to his east. It was for this princess which Nebuchadnezzar constructed the other wonder in Babylon on this list, but we'll get to that one down the road. I'm going to assume most of y'all know what I'm talking about anyways. Anyhow, with his empire well secured, Nebuchadnezzar turned his attention to his great city. Babylon had begun to fall into a state of disrepair, and with his newly conquered empire, Nebuchadnezzar wanted his city to match his conquests. One of the first projects that Nebuchadnezzar began was the Ishtar Gate. The Ishtar Gate was at the end of a beautiful procession way, which was used every year for festivals and parties dedicated to the goddess Ishtar. Like the rest of the Mesopotamian world, the Babylonians were incredibly religious. They had many different gods for every aspect of life. Ishtar was the Babylonian goddess of war and sexual love. For some reason, a lot of ancient cultures combined sex and war. Ishtar was also the goddess of thunderstorms and rain. This was a critical association, for it connected Ishtar with the Babylonian sky god An. An was one of Babylon's chief gods. This association was an important part of the design of the Ishtar gate, but we will get to that in just a moment. Now that we know who the Ishtar Gate was built for, we can take a look at what it actually looked like. Photos of the Ishtar Gate are up on my website at 21wonderspodcast.com for reference if you'd like to see it for yourself. King Nebuchadnezzar built the gate and the processional way around 595 BC. The outer gate to the processional way was almost 40 feet high. The Ishtar Gate, which was the inner gate of the processional way, was over 80 feet high. The processional way itself had high walls on both sides, measuring about 50 feet in height. The processional way made its way through the Ishtar Gate and into the city center, straight to the temple of Marduk. On the Ishtar Gate itself, King Nebuchadnezzar wrote a dedication and put it on a plaque on the gate. The dedication is not super long, so I'm going to read the whole thing in its entirety. Primary sources from the ancient world are few and far between, so I will take advantage of every one that I have. Plus, this gives us some insight into the mind of Nebuchadnezzar as to what the purpose of the gate was and why he built it. The plaque reads like this, quote, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the faithful prince appointed by the will of Marduk, the highest of princely princes, beloved of Nabu, of prudent counsel, who has learned to embrace wisdom, who fathomed their divine being and reveres their majesty, the untiring governor, who always takes to heart the care of the cult of Esagila and Ezaida, and is constantly concerned with the well-being of Babylon and Borsipa, the wise, the humble, the caretaker of Esagila and Ezaida the firstborn son of Nabopolassar, the king of Babylon. 
both gate entrances of Imgur Ilil and Nemeti Ilil follow the filing of the street from Babylon has become increasingly lower. Therefore, I pulled down these gates and laid their foundations at the water table with asphalt and bricks, and had them made of bricks with blue stone, on which wonderful bulls and dragons were depicted. I covered their roofs by laying majestic cedars lengthwise over them. I hung doors of cedar adorned with bronze at the gate openings. I placed wild bulls and ferocious dragons in the gateways, and thus adorned them with luxurious splendor, so that people might gaze on them in wonder. I let the temple of Esikersikur, the highest festival house of Marduk, lord of the gods, a place of joy and celebration for the major and minor gods, be built firm like a mountain, in the precinct of Babylon, of asphalt and fired bricks. End quote. This plaque mentions something interesting about the way the Ishtar Gate was built and the materials available to Nebuchadnezzar. Mesopotamia is a hot, flat, dry land. There is almost no stone or lumber to be found anywhere. These were, and still are, the main building materials for any project around the world. So that begs the question, what was the gate built out of if there was no stone or lumber? At some point in history, we do not know when, the peoples of Mesopotamia developed a way to make bricks out of the clay that they pulled up from the riverbeds. They would take a bunch of this clay, put it into rectangular molds, and leave them out in the sun to dry. They would pack these molds with clay very tight, so that when the clay dried, it would be almost as hard as stone. They could make as many of these bricks in a day as they had available molds. This proved to be an extraordinary invention in the ancient world. This allowed not just Babylon, but other major cities of Mesopotamia to expand and secure themselves despite the lack of lumber or stone. Once these bricks were dry, just like today, they would place wet clay around the bricks as they laid them so they would stick together. Once this clay was dry, just like cement today, it would hold these bricks together very tight. By making their walls, gates, and building several rows of bricks deep, they would become incredibly strong. This is how the Babylonians built the majority of their city, including the Ishtar Gate. It was a cheap, effective, and quick way to build just about anything. As impressive as these bricks were, they were nothing special. Bland, brown, and rather ugly, nothing about them stood out. But Nebuchadnezzar found a way to jazz up the Ishtar Gate and make it truly stand out amongst not just the other buildings in Babylon, but the entire ancient world. For the Ishtar Gate and the entire processional way, Nebuchadnezzar went all out. First, he made special molds that when the bricks were put together, there would be lions, dragons, and bulls decorating the sides of the walls and the gate itself. Now, sadly, since we do not have the entire Ishtar Gate and the processional way left today, we can only estimate how many of each of these animals was depicted. The best guess is that there was around 120 lions and about 575 bulls and dragons. The lions were supposed to represent the god An, the Babylonian sky god that we mentioned earlier. 
the bulls and dragons, represented the goddess Ishtar. Each one of these animals he had painted as to make them look as realistic as possible. As for the other bricks, Nebuchadnezzar covered them with this bright blue glaze. What a sight that must have been. In the bright Middle Eastern sun, it literally must have looked like the Ishtar Gate was made out of sapphires and gold. Beautiful, stunning, and awe-inspiring. I highly recommend to go to the website and look at some of the pictures to see the gate for yourself. It's truly beautiful. The processional way itself was just as beautiful as the gate. It was over a half of a mile long and paved with yellow and red colored stones. Each of these stones had a small prayer under it. It was a prayer from King Nebuchadnezzar to the chief god of Babylon, Marduk. That is a lot of prayers. The walls of the processional way were decorated with lions, flowers, and dragons, and covered in the same blue glaze as the rest of the gate itself. Each of these different decorations were colored differently, exactly as they were decorated on the Ishtar Gate. The processional way and the Ishtar Gate led directly to the Temple of Marduk, the main religious building in the city. And every year, the Ishtar Gate was at the center of attention in Babylon and anyone who was anyone was there. King Nebuchadnezzar, the high chief priests, the court officials, and other members of royalty would travel along this processional way in a New Year's festival. Julie Bidmead, a professor of religious studies at Chapman University in California, describes what this festival would have looked like in her book, The Akitu Festival, Religious Continuity and Royal Legitimation in Mesopotamia. Quote, the dazzling procession of gods and goddesses, dressed in their finest seasonal attire atop their bejeweled chariots, began at the Kaskilia, the main gate of the Isagila, at the temple dedicated to Marduk, and proceeded north along Marduk's processional street through the Ishtar Gate. End quote. <laughs> I can only imagine how beautiful that must have been, that procession. All the color and splendor reflecting off the Mediterranean sun would have been absolutely awe-inspiring. And it was, at least in the eyes of Herodotus and other ancient historians. Herodotus was one of the first historians in the ancient world. We mentioned him briefly during the introduction to this show, but I want to take a little bit more time here to talk about him, because he describes the Ishtar Gate personally. Herodotus was born around the year 485 BC. He was born in Halicarnassus, a lively city in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. One of the wonders on our list was in Halicarnassus, and perhaps it was this that set Herodotus on his mission to document the ancient world. Who knows? But we do know that Herodotus did not stick around in one place. He traveled the entire known ancient world, documenting what he saw. He documented everything, anything someone would tell him or he could observe. He also was one of the first historians to come up with the list of the wonders of the ancient world. And on his list, he included the Ishtar Gate of Babylon. Now, it is generally believed that Herodotus never actually visited Babylon. We assume this because of his description, particularly of the walls of Babylon, appears to be grossly overstated. He describes the walls of Babylon as being 90 kilometers, or 56 miles long, 
24 meters or 80 feet thick and 97 meters or 320 feet high. Now these numbers seem fantastic and they are. However, there might not be as much embellishment on the part of Herodotus as has believed to have been the case. The Great Pyramids were already built and standing for more than a thousand years by the time of Nebuchadnezzar. And walls that thick were actually not that uncommon in the ancient world. Walls of ancient cities were so thick that people's houses would literally be in the actual wall itself. So I'm willing to give Herodotus the benefit of the doubt here. While he may or may not have visited Babylon himself, and his numbers do seem a little outrageous, they are not outside the realm of possibility. The walls of Babylon also had a reputation in the ancient world of being some of the largest, biggest, and strongest walls around. But even if Herodotus is exaggerating a little bit, it does not take away from the splendor that the Ishtar Gate displayed on a daily basis and still shows today. Next week, we will take a look at what happened to the Ishtar Gate after its completion. We'll look and see how long Babylon stood before it fell to the Persian Empire. But unlike Abu Simbel, Babylon and the Ishtar Gate would not fall into obscurity just yet. In fact, it would become the capital of the greatest empire in the ancient world. But sadly, this empire did not last very long. We will see how the Ishtar Gate in Babylon fell out of history, and how this once bustling city of Babylon and all its jewels were pushed aside. But the Ishtar Gate would rise from the ashes of history to be rediscovered. However, unlike Abu Simbel, it would not remain where it was discovered. It would be pieced back together and displayed in a country more than a thousand miles away. But we will discuss all of that next week when we return to the 21 wonders of the ancient world. <laughs>